And now, The Low Post. Welcome into The Low Post podcast. Late Monday night, we'll probably post Tuesday morning. We're going to talk about two teams that have, to varying degrees, flown a little bit under the radar this offseason. The Milwaukee Bucks, who have flown just completely under the radar. I don't think anyone has said the word Bucks or Milwaukee in an NBA podcast for like five months. And the Suns, who haven't flown under the radar because of the DeAndre Ayton situation, but have kind of been passed over in the discourse as if their window is shut, the Clippers are back, the Nuggets are back, the Warriors just reestablished their grip over the league. The Suns, last we last saw them in the most humiliating, shocking, jaw-dropping one-game defeat among the most of those that I can remember a defeat to the Dallas Mavericks at home in Game 7 that was embarrassing despite some some extenuating circumstances, including a, a COVID outbreak to some degree around the team. It's unclear exactly who had what when. So there were some mitigating circumstances, but the kind of game, the kind of loss that, that lingers, uh, especially atop the DeAndre Ayton tension that surfaced after that game and manifested itself in a weird offer sheet situation standoff whatever it was with the Pacers we'll get to that but we have to start with just the incalculably awful news that Jonathan Sharks uh, who was a staff writer for the ringer passed away over the weekend at age 34 he's been writing about the NBA for over a decade before this he, he contracted a very rare and awful form of cancer he's survived by his wife Melissa and his son Jackson there is a huge GoFundMe going for his family that you can donate to. I'm going to post the link on Twitter once this podcast hits, but you can find it on The Ringer. You can find it on Bill Simmons' website, and it's just it's just beyond awful. I, I got to know John. I was I was looking back in um, in my email archive. We first started exchanging emails in 2011 when he was writing for a blog called GetBuckets.com that was just his blog, and I was starting off at Sports Illustrated as a blogger posting four times a day. And one of the posts I would do was called Court Vision, where I would link. It was a blatant ripoff of the True Hoop, Henry Abbott, shout out Henry Abbott, Bullets, where you would just link to good writing around the NBA. And I think Jonathan sent me some of his links, and I was like, whoa, this guy's good. And I started linking to his stuff, and and then I started talking to Bill Simmons, who became my boss shortly after that. You know, I was looking back through these emails in 2013, 2014. Bill would ask me, who are some of the best writers I don't know about that I should know about? And, and John was always on my list, and Bill eventually hired him. I don't think I was the only person far from it recommending Jonathan Charks to Bill. And and I was looking through our emails, and, and he talks, and uh, this is May 14th. 2011 and Jonathan so so now 11 years ago and John is talking about his grind to try to get into the NBA working at the NBA and how how he just decided I'm going to blog on my own and he said I interned and worked at major newspapers in college and for all the sturm and drang that is quite a phrase sturm and drang about how the internet is killing journalism it's also a great platform for people to find an audience writing about what they are passionate about and that's what always stood out about Sharks' email. He just loved basketball. I was going through some of the links he sent me. He's got a piece about Kevin Serafin. Like, he's got to be the only guy who wrote a standalone blog post about Kevin Serafin's performance on the French national team and, and what it might hold for the Wizards, who then employed Kevin Serafin and Kevin Serafin's snake, by the way. Remember Kevin Serafin's snake escaped? and it, I think it escaped or it, he, it was lost for a while. Anyway... 
Charks had this way because he was a former pretty high level a high school player. I'm not sure if he played in college or not. I can't remember. Uh, of just Chris, I don't know about you, but I would read a Jonathan Sharks piece about the architecture of a basketball team, how this guy should move to the four, or that guy's best at the five, or this is this structural fundamental weakness of this team that unless they change it in ways X, Y, and Z, it puts a hard ceiling on them. And I would read the piece, and it would be so clear and concise. There was never any any flowery language. There was never any attempt to be overly writerly, which I just is a phrase I just butchered. Never any attempt to really make his own voice bigger than the basketball issues he was talking about. And it was just so crystal clear that I would read a piece and I would sit there and say, God damn, A, I wish I wrote that, and B, I don't even want to write about this team anymore because this dude just summed up their fundamental issues in like 400 words and I got nothing left to say. He just loved basketball so much. He just wanted to write about basketball. He never cared about about being wrong. He wasn't afraid to be wrong. A lot of people are afraid to be wrong. He wasn't afraid to be strong in his opinions. He had no concern at all, zero, for placating sources, for whether what he wrote was going to make somebody angry at him. None of that that has sort of infested its way into into sports journalism. He just wanted to write about the game. He did it with such a passion and such a clarity. Another email I went back from, like, whenever Carl Towns was in college, John was urging me. He's like, Zach, I know you don't watch any Carl, college basketball. This Carl Towns guy, you got to watch Kentucky. He's like... He's like Anthony Davis, but with Pau Gasol's passing game and a, and a, and a mean post-up game. This guy's going to be incredible. you got to watch him. And obviously all this stuff just doesn't really matter compared to the family devastation that has happened for, for John and his wife and his child and the tragedy of them barely getting a life together at all, really. Um, but I only met John a few times at games. We we had a long chat in the media room at Vegas Summer League once, which was one of my just a, it was a five minute chat that turned into a two hour chat. Um, and the guy was just incredible at his job in a way that was made him stand out. And it's just it's just awful. And it's all any of us have been thinking about now for a long time because if you've been following the story. His family's story, um, it's been its been a, a terrible couple of years that they've tried to make the best of. Anyway, I've been rambling. Chris, Chris, I know I know you've met John a few times and have been a long-time admirer of his work. I don't know if you wanted what, what you wanted to add. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll scale that back. I met him once, and sort of the same thing you just laid out, but before I ever met him, read his stuff, and um, – you know, I think he and I kind of came into writing about the league around the same time. Um, I remember reading his stuff at Real GM and uh, just being kind of blown away by how it's actually what you were saying a minute ago that he could just get his point across really quickly, but it didn't feel like it was that you were losing anything or missing anything. Like he hit on all the points. Uh, it was clear, it was decisive if, as far as what he was writing. And it was really descriptive too. Like I just kind of, he, he saw the game like a scout that watched a lot of basketball, like a, a 65 year old, you know, in, in terms of how much basketball he'd seen. And I, I just remember being kind of in awe of that, 
before I found my voice as a writer, I, uh, I felt like I used numbers a lot to try to understand and, and to kind of speak that language until I could catch up as far as what I was seeing on the court to be able to explain it. Using the analytics to almost kind of uh, bolster stuff until I could kind of catch up from a, you know, from just an eyes and ear standpoint. And he wrote with the kind of basketball clarity that I wanted to have as a writer. Uh, so I remember that, but then I also remember meeting him again, like you at a game. Um, and just how warm he was as a guy, like there's very few people I've met in this industry or even in my life that when you're meeting them, it's like, you're the only person in the world at that moment that they just kind of throw all their energy into you. There can be a game going on. There can be other people walking around. There could be, you know, Zach, I think you're kind of in this stratosphere as far as people, um, that write about basketball where people kind of stop what they're doing to make a point to try to say hello to you. And it's just, he, he's got tunnel vision on just you. Um, and just a really beautiful spirit. And, uh, I, I wish that I had gotten to know him more. Um, and for all the basketball that we can talk about, uh, and his writing with basketball, that piece that he wrote, um, I don't know if it was earlier this year, or if it was sometime last year, um, about kind of the finality that comes with kind of, you know, essentially the, the diagnosis that he got and what it turned into is a piece that will stay with me for a long, long, long time about, you know, his upbringing and kind of what he remembered and losing his father really young and worrying that that was going to be his fate and just wondering, like, you know, there are a lot of things in life that we concern ourselves with, but how do you treat people and how do you stand in for people that have on some level unfairly kind of been left behind. And he was talking about his son uh, and kind of what will my son be able to say about you? What will he remember about you as far as people kind of standing in for me now that I'm not going to be here? And it just, I, I can't remember too many pieces, particularly ones that have been written by people that I know that will stay with me the way that one will. Uh, but he, he just seemed like a beautiful person uh, who I wish I'd gotten to meet so many more times than just that one time, but that one time still stands out to me very vividly. I haven't I haven't read the full piece yet because truthfully I didn't have the heart. I, I just not that I didn't have the heart. I understand. I, I couldn't get through it. It I, I just couldn't do it. It was too it was too devastating. Frankly. It's wrenching. The the thing you're talking about about how his attention is solely focused on you, I think there's a parallel to that in in Charks's writing, which is. Um, he he was there. There was not a a sort of competitive or jealous bone in his body. Mm-hmm. He was not worried. He was not talking to you, thinking who's a bigger deal than you over there that I might go get some time with. Just as he was not not he didn't look at fellow writers as people he had to beat as as necessarily competition as people who he couldn't share advice back and forth with because he was competing right. with them. He just cared about writing great stuff about basketball. And the best the best thing compliment I, I can give him just in that regard is ten years ago, five years ago, five years from now, ten years from now, when I'm writing if I'm writing about basketball, about a team, about a player, I I have thought and I think we'll continue to think in my head, what would Sharks notice about this team that I'm not mm-hmm. noticing? What would he write in very bald, stark terms 
that maybe I would try to hint at or write around, but really I mm-hmm. should have the courage to just say, what would he, what, what suggestion would he make that would just blow me away? Um, and I, he's one of the writers I think about all the, every piece I write almost, I think about, I, I, what would he say about this team? What, what would he notice about this team? So again, I'm going to post the GoFundMe link. It's, it's not hard to find. Just Google GoFundMe and Jonathan Sharks. Uh, whatever you can donate, whatever you can spare, if you feel moved to do so, his family, I'm sure would appreciate it. And it would go to obviously a great cause, but um, just, you know, I, when Bill's tweet came over uh, the internet and hit my phone over the weekend, it just, it was beyond a gut punch. So I just, I just think you and I both wanted to, to send our best wishes to his family, his wife, his son, everyone who knew him at the ringer. I know the ringer colleagues who got to work way more closely with him than I ever did are just beyond devastated. And to people who just love basketball, go through his archive, spend a couple hours going through his archive. I'm going to do that too. Cause I'm sure there are pieces that I missed over the years as we all miss stuff and just read some awesome basketball writing. Um, and, and with that, I, th- I guess we got to move on and do a normal podcast. Mr. Herring, you ready to give it a go? Let's try. You, this was really your idea more than I, my idea to, you know, we're in the, we're in the dog days now of, of just nothingness of football. We're in football season. It's opening weekend. The bills are awesome. The Giants won. They went uh, went for it on a two point conversion when they were when they were down one in the last minute. That never happened. It was I actually watched it live with some buddies. And I was like, "Whoa, that's cool." No one cares about the NBA right now. And we thought, "What can we talk about that we haven't really talked about?" And the Suns and the Bucks both came up. And I want to start with the Suns, uh, who are sort of more viscerally interesting for reasons that I talked about earlier. And and I think there's this notion that time has passed them by that their window was open. It was wide open. They were the best team in the NBA for the bulk of last season. They gutted by the Pelicans, a really game Pelicans team in the first round with Devin Booker missing a good chunk of the series. Chris Paul went bonkers in that series. He had one perfect shooting game in there somewhere. DeAndre Ayton stepped up his scoring. They win the first two against Dallas, a team they had dominated despite the presence of Luka Doncic, who is a god in the playoffs. And then the wheels fell off. The wheels fell off in a way that made you think, hey, have the wheels been wobbly this this whole time and we just didn't realize it? And then you throw in the eight and stuff, Chris Paul, just getting older. The feeling that the roster has, if not maxed out, has maxed out a very idiosyncratic style of play, which is just all mid-range all the time, no shots at the rim, no free throws, no threes. No offensive rebounds. Somehow were the second or third best offense in the NBA. And it just felt like that kind of ground to a halt as Chris Paul slumped against the Mavericks. The last five games against Dallas, they averaged what would have been the 29th or 28th best offense in the NBA efficiency-wise. Just those five games. Small sample. Mavericks kind of blitzed Devin Booker, took him out of it a little bit. Chris Paul couldn't compensate. DeAndre Ayton couldn't compensate. The Wings, who everyone's waiting on to take on more ball-handling duties, couldn't compensate, and their offense wasn't up to it. And yet, Chris, I look at the numbers, and I and this was my reaction during the playoffs too. It's their defense that really fell apart in in the play. I'm not sure it fell apart statistically. It fell apart. They were the third best defense in the regular season through two playoff rounds, and then their season was over. They allowed about 115 points per possession in the playoffs, which would have been last 
in the NBA in the regular season. We can talk about some of the factors out of their control that that maybe went into that. So it's kind of a little confusing when you zoom out and take a look at, at what went wrong and then what they could do going forward to tweak, give themselves a little jolt as the Western Conference elite around them are jolting all over the place with the Warriors, the Clippers, the Nuggets, and on and on and on. So I'll just put it to you quickly now that that prologue is over. Do you think the window is closed? If, if they don't make a trade, obviously they missed on Durant for now. Surely the drama in Brooklyn is over and we'll never hear anything about it again and they'll win 65 <laughs> games this year and it'll all be smooth. Surely that's over. They missed out on Durant for now. Maybe that resurfaces for them. Maybe they're still number one on Kevin Durant's proverbial list. Maybe they're not. They still have all their picks, all their swaps, a bunch of mid-salaried players they can package it in like $20 million increments. But let's just assume this is the team. I actually think that's a faulty assumption. I would bet on them doing something at some point at a sub-Durant mm. level. But let's just assume this is the team. Do you, Chris Herring, think that in that case the window has indeed closed? I don't think it's closed, but it, it's also – I mean, I, just by definition, it's not as open as it was before. Um, I will start by saying this. Like – me and my colleague Rohan Nadkerny at uh, Sports Illustrated, we podcasted last week and, you know, we said, let's go through our top five contenders out West and, you know, and rank order them uh, five to one. And I had the Suns like right at the back end of that top five, uh, which Ooh. doesn't feel fair. Ooh. It doesn't. It, right. It doesn't feel fair. Right. Because this is a team that was what were they? Eight games, 10 games better than everybody else. Last year in the league, not even just, you know, in the conference, whatever. Um, so that feels unfair. But I think part of it, I remember last season having the Jazz as my favorite to come out of the West. And I want to say that when I podcasted with you about that, you were like, you do? And a lot of other people were like, you do? And even Jazz fans were like, you do? Um, but they had the best record the year before that. They hadn't fundamentally changed the roster that much. They made tweaks to go get Pascal and Rudy Gay. Uh, and that was essentially it. The Suns have made really even fewer changes than the Jazz did. They've got someone on their roster that's key to their roster that's older. And quite frankly, I remember joking about that was the last time that I podcasted with you about uh, the Suns. Was I, I joked like, you know, what if Chris Paul has a birthday and he's never the same player anymore? It was like after that second game of the series, he just wasn't the same. So it obviously feels unfair to say that the Suns are just done. But I do think that people are going to view them on some level like kind of the way people thought about the Jazz, um, just from the standpoint of you have a couple cracks at it. You might get close. You might be the favorite. But when you don't get it done, I kind of feel like people are going to count you out a little bit. So the door shouldn't be all the way closed. It's a team, anytime you can win 65 games in that range and you keep the same roster, you're capable. Um, but something does have to change. It would be a really good time for them to get a, an additional jump from Ayton to get something more from Bridges offensively. Uh, Monty Williams took responsibility for the fact that maybe he put too much on the shoulders of his two guards uh, in that series. And it is a team that is kind of dominated by what they do in, in the backcourt. They have to have a little bit more versatility there. And quite frankly, uh, you know, they just didn't really look up to the task like tough enough 
in the series against Dallas after a certain point where they kind of were looking for someone to bail them out in that game seven. I've gone back and watched that game seven, which just still like doesn't even seem like reality. Does it, does it come with one of those like, warnings? You know how every TV show that you stream now is like, <laughs> warning, this will have flashing lights that could be difficult for people who are sensitive to. Yeah. That should come with like just warning. It should have a trigger warning on it. I'm just, I guess it doesn't, but it should. I, I, I watched Dope Sick recently on Hulu, and they, they talked about the black box warning that they put on OxyContin uh, because of you know all the risks that it comes with that they don't tell you about. Uh, it should probably for that game seven because it was that bad. Guess what? In the rewatch, it's still that bad. If you're a Suns fan, it's probably not going back worth going back to watch. Um, but there's just so many plays where they're like looking for uh, a call, even in the first few minutes of that game, and it's like, I guess you can do that. Um, maybe you feel more like you can do that when you're playing at home in a in a closeout game and a deciding game. But also, a game seven is where you just reach out and you take it. Um, and I, I think that's what Dallas did far more than than. Uh, Dude, the they Suns reached did, out. The so, Mavs reached out, took it, talked to everyone in the audience as they were taking it, talked right. to the Suns players as they were taking it, and there was no response from anybody in the vicinity of the game. Right. So that's what I'm saying is like on some level, it's a pride thing. So is the door closed? No, but you also normally would think that when you take a beating like that, you don't want to overreact to having been the best team and then losing in a game seven. But when you lose that decisively, we all kind of assumed after a while from the way that the Suns were even talking about it, that, okay, Aiton will be out and they'll, you know, they'll replace him with different things. And then that didn't happen. So as a team, like I'm not used to seeing a team stay basically in exactly the same form after taking that sort of ass kicking. So it'll be interesting to see what happens because they've got the talent to do it. But the Chris Paul aging stuff absolutely matters. And just I think some of the matchup questions that we're going to have, if certain guys that are so young don't take big steps forward, we, we kind of saw a little bit of a recipe to take them out. Um, or just uh, them take a really nasty punch that they just did not respond to with the season on the line. So it's hard to – no one, I don't think, would call them the favorites, even though they, again, they they lapped the field in the regular season. So it's a weird sort of in-between spot, but it's kind of like what the Jazz had record-wise the year before that. Well, the parallel is interesting even further in that – and I, I remember doing a monologue about this either before the playoffs or super early in the playoffs. I thought the Jazz – as we knew them, died in the Clippers series in 2021 when the Clippers, Mm -hmm. without Kawhi Leonard, beat Utah in six games under a pile of Terrence Mann corner threes, and the Jazz did not know how to respond to a five-out offense, uh, pointed fingers, just looked discombobulated. That game, I just felt like that series was going to linger forever, that it was going to break and fracture their team in some fundamental way. I don't know if that Mavs game or and or series did that to Phoenix, but it did something, and we're going to learn more about the something that it did when this season starts, when adversity hits. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. 
passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Let's just go through the rotation real fast. Mm -hmm. It's basically the same other than on the fringes. The starting lineup, which has been a stalwart, has been Paul... Booker, Bridges, Crowder, Aiton. I think there's going to be a discussion both internally and externally about whether Cam Johnson should start over Crowder just to jack up the shooting, jack up the offense, jack up the electricity a little bit because Cam Johnson is a great shooter. Jay Crowder is a very eager shooter and just an okay one. And and exchanging eight Crowder threes and making them eight Johnson threes around the starters would be a big difference. Um, That said, either or, we'll see. I mean, they need Crowder's defense. They need his bulk. They need him at the four uh, for that reason. So I don't know. what Will they change? Will they not change? I don't know. Then off the bench, you get Payne. They always, they'll flirt with bench moms, but they'll often keep one of the two guards, the two star guards, Paul and Booker on the floor at all times. Maybe Maybe they go back to a bench mob thing this year, both because they're a very deep team. They still have Torrey Craig. I think Damian Lee and Josh Okoge are really good deep bench players in the NBA in that both can play 18 to 20 minutes a game against real NBA teams and hold their own. I, may, they may be out of the rotation to start the season, all of them, depending on how this looks. I think they're, they're top, their go-to, like, go-for-it, backup lineups would be campaign one of the star guards probably booker if shamit is in the game it'll be booker for size shamit will be in there in some way or another cam johnson if he's still coming off the bench jay crowder if he's coming off the bench and you can play dario saric who had an up and down euro basket but i think ultimately given he's coming off a long layoff and an acl injury a pretty encouraging one could use him at the backup five gives you some spacing gives you a look that worked really well two seasons ago. Could also use him as a four with Aiton against bigger teams, with Biombo against bigger teams, or if those wings just aren't working out. But I expect them to give Shamit a real shot to earn a bigger role than he had last season, a more consistent role than he had last season. That's a really good team, and I do think it's going to win a lot of regular season games. Um, any thoughts on on? The rotation is outlined there. Any any sort of lineup questions that are intriguing to you? Not really. I mean, you know, I looked at the same things you did with regards to Lee and, and Okogi. They're they're good guys to have in a rotation, and it tells you about the strength of your rotation when you're not even sure how much time you're going to have for them. I think, as you were saying, Sharich is the big thing there. I mean, it it was huge in the finals a couple of years ago. Uh, it's really easy to forget about the fact that when he went down, how thin it made them. Uh, Kaminsky ended up getting a lot more minutes in the finals and really didn't look very smooth in, in, in taking them 
and Aiton, you know, if you can remember the back end of that series, really didn't give them much. Um, and it kind of looked like they were really shorthanded in that regard. You know, Aiton, just trying Aiton to, so. to not to foretell the next part of this podcast, was guarding Giannis for a lot of that series. And I, I think one of the things we're learning about Giannis is the effects of dealing with him go beyond the numbers go beyond what he does individually as an offensive and defensive player, which by itself is spectacular, go beyond the passing and and just sort of attention he draws on what it does for his teammates. I just think he's just a load. He takes a toll on other teams. He takes a huge toll on who's ever guarding him. And I, not Again, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Please continue. No, no, no. It's just it's a good rotation. I mean, and, and to your point, from before, um, and I know we'll talk about this in, in another part of the segment, but um, even for how horrendous they were at the back end of that series against Dallas, when we talk about where this team does well enough and holds its own, even with the questions about Chris Paul's age, how bad they looked in, at that part in the playoffs, they were right behind Dallas for the most efficient half-court offense in the playoffs. Uh, it basically 103 points per 100 possessions better than the Warriors at the end of it. And obviously the Warriors played against the Celtics later, but you know, better than everybody at that point. So there, you cannot count them out. Uh, it, it could be a great redemption story for them. It doesn't quite have the feel of <laughs> the Spurs. I, you know, I had to write about Manu uh, last week for the whole game. It doesn't quite have the feel of the Spurs losing, you know, on that Ray Allen shot and then losing game seven, then coming back stronger and winning the next year and dominating because they got blasted in game seven again, but it would not be fair to write them off completely. I just kind of feel like it's going to be, it's going to be more challenging when you think about Denver. Um, when you think about the Clippers that should be back at full force as well. Uh, there's no way to look at it and think that it's going to somehow be the way it was la exactly the way it was last season. I think that's obvious. Unless the team is really fractured internally and I don't really have any reason to believe it is in a way that's irreparable. I mean, for, we haven't mentioned who their head coach is. I mean, if, if, if there's a coach that can repair yeah. some of that stuff, it's Monty Williams. It, unless the culture is that bad, and I don't think it is. Unless Chris Paul ages real fast or gets injured or some, or Booker gets injured, which is obviously, you know, that could apply to any team. Your best player gets injured. I think this team's going to be a regular season wins machine still. I think they're deep. They're skilled. They know exactly who they are. They know exactly how they want to play. I have no real questions about what they're going to be in the regular season. If you told me right now they're the number one seed again, I'd be like, eh, I guess I'm a little surprised because I think these other teams are awesome, but I'm not that surprised. Right. The defense, the defense statistically coming apart in the playoffs is hard really to know what to make of because – they face this New Orleans team who is tailor-made to just destroy the Suns on the glass. The Suns are not a good rebounding team. They make up for it by being an incredibly low turnover team and winning the possession game, that part of the possession game anyway. And so the Pelicans rebound almost 40% of their own misses in that series. They play volleyball almost literally on the offense. They obliterate the Suns. They obliterate the Suns at their weakest point. They put up big offensive numbers, and the Suns' offense is so good that they overcome it. That's a kind of a weird matchup. Booker was hurt. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to really draw anything sort of permanent about the Suns from that series. The next series is Luka. And Luka is just a killer. Luka is just a monster. 
And the Suns came into that series saying, we just watched what Luka can do with four shooters around him when he gets switches and he just starts going one-on-one at people. And if you send help, he's just going to kick out to people and they're going to shoot open threes and they're going to beat you that way. We have confidence in our one-on-one defensive players. We're going to play them as straight up as we can. We're not going to leave Dorian Finney-Smith and Reggie Bullock and all those dudes wide open in the corner. We're not doing that. And gradually as the series went on, gradually, Luka got a little more comfortable. Every game, a little more comfortable, a little more comfortable. And you could see the Suns starting to question their own strategy, starting to show a little bit more help, not enough help to really deter Luka, but enough help to leave those dudes open. You could see them looking at each other like, are we sticking with what we're what we came in here doing or or is this guy so good that we got to do something else and luca kind of slowly but surely broke them Bro- not broke is a little strong but slowly but surely made them doubt their scheme maybe even change their scheme a little bit and and you want to and you want to look at that and say is that an indictment of the sun's defense or is that dude just awesome playing with four shooters around him it, it's hard to know i will say this and this is why the crowder thing is interesting to me Bridges is obviously a first-team all-defense player. He had a case for defense player of the year last year. I didn't vote for him, but he's really good. Ayton is a solid center, big dude. Like, you notice DeAndre. If you get in the lane, DeAndre Ayton's there. You got you to gotta make some adjustments to your life. Booker's obviously improved. Not the biggest dude. Not the sort of enveloping, long terror of an athlete on the wing. Paul's obviously a six-foot bulldog, but he's six-foot and he's getting older. They just defensively, you don't feel them in the way that you would usually feel like a top three defense, which is what this defense was. You don't, I don't think teams look at the Suns, they're like, man, they're so big, they're long, they're tough, they scare me. They don't have that kind of vibe to them, which is why I think the Cam Johnson for Crowder thing is interesting because if they were to make that switch, I think that problem gets even worse. Their offense gets better, but I just Cam Johnson's not on Jay Crowder's level as a defender or a physical presence or a verbal trash-talking presence or just an elbow-in-your-face kind of presence. I just feel like... They just are a little soft is not the right word because of what it what it what it connotates to most people. You just don't feel the Suns. But the other thing is the offense in that series. I looked this up today. Dallas shot 40% from three in that series, Chris. That's great. Like that's that's above average. That's probably a tick or two above what you'd expect. It's good enough that if you're a Suns fan with the Ted Lasso rose-colored glasses, you could say. Oh, the only reason why he lost is these random dudes got hot. Dallas took 83 more three-point shots in that series than the Suns. 83. That's 12 more attempts per game. And at some point, as polished as the Suns are, as as polished as Chris Paul is, the point god, one of the greatest to ever do it, Devin Booker, first-team All-NBA, and damn right he deserved it. Fourth in MVP, Damn right he deserved it. As good as those dudes are, you can't magic up an incredible offense over and over and over again when you are at that kind of three-point deficit if you're also at a free-throw deficit, an offensive rebounding deficit, a rim shots deficit. And it's just like that's the style of play. The roster maybe has not been maxed out. I think the style of play has been maxed out. 
And with the West rising, with these powers rising back to power around them, they just got to do something different. And the, the question that they have to ask themselves every day as this season approaches is, is the something different on our team? And if it's not on our team, we have to make a trade. Have to. Because we have all our picks and Chris Paul's old and the window is now and we cannot sit on this team if we don't think it has the answer. So I will put it to you. Is the answer on their team? I honestly don't think it is. And, and this is before I even knew. I'd, I'd seen it, but hearing you say it out loud about the disparity from three-point range, I think it was um, something like 14 points per game that they got outscored by from three. Um it was it was pretty bad in that series, but no, I mean it. It feels like they need more of a three point threat. You brought up the idea of maybe Cam Johnson is that guy, uh, and you're right. It, it seems a little bit unlikely at this point, you know, that that they end up making a trade for Durant during the season. I think you can go a level beneath that, level and a half beneath that, and find guys that fill that box a little bit. Um, we've heard so much, and it's like it, before it's weird before too. we be, before we go there. Okay. Because we're going to go there. I got 25 players on my son's trade list that are not Kevin Durant. We're not going to hit all of them. Uh, we're just going to go rapid fire. I, I, I put three on mine. Go ahead. <laughs> what do you – but why do you think the – like why are you so convinced the, the – what are the candidates to be the answer, whether it's defensively or to me a little bit more pressingly offensively? What are the candidates to be the internal answer when you look at the team? Well, I think I, I think one we, we were talking before about how Sharich really seemed to matter back in the finals when they were against the Bucks. Uh, I think that they could maybe juice that position a little bit more. They, they've had Kaminsky there in the past at times, someone that can both rim protect but also step out and shoot threes. And Aiton, for all the credit he deserves, obviously for being a a really really nice mid range threat, all the touch he has around the basket. Uh, you just talked about some of the stuff with Giannis and, and who wouldn't struggle to defend him. But the idea of can you get some stretch, some spacing to where you can play pick and pop a little bit more with your big man who could also play alongside Chris Paul or Devin Booker. Uh, a guy that can can do that, whether he's off the bench, whether at times maybe he's playing alongside somebody like Aiton. I think there are guys like that that exist uh, that, that could play four, who could play the five. Um, who fit kind of in that slot for how much money they would probably need to send out to get it. Uh, so that's kind of what I'm thinking. But that's, that's the challenge, right, is that you just said it. They, Mikhail Bridges is a wonderful, wonderful defender. Again, a defensive player of the year candidate. Uh, they don't have many lockdown guys in their lineup, but they also don't have much three-point shooting in their lineup all the time. They're going for mid-range. They're not getting to the line a whole lot. So who do you get that can give you some bonus points from behind the arc who can also defend whatever position it is? So that's the challenge is you could always go out and find a three-point shooter. We keep hearing Buddy Hield's name attached to the Lakers. Do you want to throw him in a lineup where you're worried about your ability to defend certain teams? Nope. Uh, nope. That, that's where it becomes difficult. So that's where I feel like the names are very, very particular uh, that you would think about with a team like this and who they would potentially Look, if for. the answer is on the roster, it's one of the following things. Saric as a big who, in theory, checks the shooting plus playmaking dimension that they need. Okay, I like Dario Saric. Modern-day Boris Diaw in some ways. The Cam Johnson-Mikhail Bridges combination 
doing a little bit more with the ball. And I'm not talking about attacking closeouts. They're both pretty good at that and they'll get better at that. I'm talking run the occasional pick and roll a little bit more than they do. Take a little bit more ownership in the offense and transition. I mean, Mikhail Bridge is already one of the best transition players in the NBA. Shamit, maybe. Maybe doing more. I mean, the, the appeal, the allure of Shamit is not just the shooting. It's the fact that he's a pretty underrated ball handler, playmaker, one dribble pull-up guy with the ball. And, and at times a confident player, at times not so much. And I think most importantly, Aiton. Aiton as the player that he dreams himself to be. Aiton is a guy who can shoot jump shots, face up, work the post, shoot threes, facilitate the offense. And I think that has the best chance of being the answer. I think Aiton, and I've said this before, I like that Aiton thinks he can do more. I like that maybe he's a little frustrated being pigeonholed as a glorified just screen and dive guy, like 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 I I basically doing the same things, but way 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 better than Bismack Biombo did off the bench when the Suns, Chris Paul and Devin Booker proved they could make anybody look good in that role. Yeah, <laughs> I like that DeAndre Ayton is that ambitious. I think of all of those potential answers, that's the one that looms to me as the thing that could unlock their team a little bit. But if you're asking me, do I have? faith in any of those answers hitting big now in time to work this season and big enough to beat the Clippers, the Warriors, the Nuggets, and whoever else in a seven-game series, I would lean no, in which case we then have to look at the trade market. So give me your three names. I'm betting all of them are on my list of ridiculous lists of 25 names. By the way, half of which are just non-starters for reasons we'll talk about. But let's before we get to your three names, I'm going to preface this by saying preface them by saying this. Here, here are the things that make this exercise difficult for Phoenix. Number one, they're over the tax already. You may have heard that their owner does not enjoy being over the tax. By the way, I don't know when the Robert Sarver investigation is going to end. When is it going to end, bro? It's longer than the freaking, it's longer than the Lord of the Rings colon Return uh, of the King, which ended nine times before it actually ended in the movie theater. Poor, well, not poor Baxter, because it's not like we're sitting here waiting. It's it's not that, but like that was like well before the trade deadline where Baxter wrote that story and all stuff If the Sixers tampering investigation, remember that's like still a thing. People forgot about that because it's September and everyone's like E-A-G-L-E-S, Eagles. That's still going on. If that ends before the Sarver investigation, I give up. So that's number one. Number two, they are built around two legit only really guards, a small point guard in Chris Paul and a sort of just out of central casting elite shooting guard in Devin Booker. You can't really trade for another guard guard, another guy between six foot and six five, because then you're playing Booker at the three and Bridges at the four. And they just haven't been sort of eager to do that. And I think for good reason. Number three, they also have a traditional paint-bound, rim-running to some degree center in DeAndre Ayton. So another big man who likes to paint, who lives in the paint, that's his habitat, that's a little bit of an issue too. We're squeezing now toward the very middle of the positional spectrum, the most coveted guys in the entire league. And number four, a lot of the league, 25 teams, whatever it is, are trying to win right now. They have high hopes. The Wizards right now are like, we could be seventh. 
Why not us? The Kings right now. The Kings fans are walking out of summer league games chanting about 40 wins. We're winning 40 games, baby. The streak is going to end. The Kings. I forgot the about Kings that. Just, just <laughs> traded a first-round pick for Kevin Herter. The Kings are all in. So, like, some guys right now are just not going to be on the market. With all that said, Chris Herring giving her three Phoenix Suns trade candidates. <sighs> okay. My first one, and it's like the name that's been thrown around more than anybody, I feel like, over the last two years or so, is Miles Turner. Uh, a guy that, you know, as far as the starting lineup, it may not make a whole lot of sense to some people. But having him in your rotation, you know, Aiton has missed time in all these seasons. Even going back, what was that, the year before last? where he, uh, Or was it the year before that where he got suspended for a while because of whatever that was? Uh People miss time, and on this team, I feel like they've had to cycle through their centers. They've had to cycle through their guards when Booker gets hurt, when Chris Paul gets hurt. I just think he's a guy that when I think about the rim protection aspect of it, someone that is comfortable enough to step out a little bit if he has to, uh, to just kind of make shots difficult for guys, but also someone that is comfortable enough to step out and shoot if he's given that option or if he's given the ball that way. Um, He's a guy that I think about where – upgrading from someone like Sharich who could be a four or a five for you if he needs to be he does that and he's he's a good enough three-point shooter it's a role where I kind of feel like the way people theorize this man for years in the league is that he was a star and like okay he's a very very nice player he's a player that could make an impact on a really good team I think so he's someone that I think about um, and this isn't necessarily in any order, but he's someone that I think about that could make a big impact for a team like that. On a, playing with somebody like Chris Paul, with someone like Booker, and could give you more threes than what they have on this team when they're such a mid-range oriented team. So he's the first guy I think about. Uh, you ready to move, move to number on. two? John Collins is a guy I think Chris about. Chris Herring! Too. Wow! So Miles Turner I'm not that interested in talking about, but I, he's on the list. I have two segments of my list. One segment is tank team guys, guys who should be available, right? <laughs> like, no, just okay. like guys, that's where you got to start. That's why Boyan Bogdanovich is high on my list. Teams that are just not interested in winning this year and have a player who fits snugly in that four spot, whatever. Then I have a list of right. if it goes wrong. So if I, guys who are on teams with high ambitions where if you get to the trade deadline, someone's injured, something goes haywire, whatever, I'm making a call. John Collins is high on that list. I don't think a lot of people would mention him because of the Aiton thing. Oh, John Collins, he's a screen and dive guy, blah, blah, I think for some players, you're overthinking that Aiton fit because their talent is their talent. He's on my list, Chris Herring. I thought I would be all sneaky with John Collins. Let, nope. Let me, gotcha. Let's be, clear. Let's, let's be very clear. <laughs> Not happening right now. The Hawks are not trading John Collins. John Collins is Brooke Lopez 2.0. He's never going to get traded by the Hawks. Apparently, he's always going to be on the Hawks despite being in trade rumors all the time like Brooke Lopez on the Nets. So let's be clear, Hawks fans, not suggesting it. I'm just saying, if we get 40 games into the season and it's not going right and there's a godfather offer on the table, Chris Herring, I like where, you're, I like where your head's at. He, he makes a lot of sense for, for exactly those reasons we're laying out. You mentioned Boyan, who I think makes a lot of sense for a lot of teams. Um, so I, I won't belabor that, but obviously someone that can get to the basket, someone that can handle the ball a little bit. Obviously, you don't want him handling it as much as – you remember a couple of years ago when the Pacers 
we're missing everybody and Oladipo and everyone, and he had to handle the ball like primarily. You don't ever want that, especially now that he's a little bit older. But uh, someone that could give you more three-point shooting, could give you more spacing, can handle the ball when needed, he would make sense. The other guy I have, and I don't even know that they would put him up, but I, I do wonder, like, they do have a glut of guys on this team now, and they've got a lot of young players that all um, are promising. <sighs> Wendell Carter Jr. is a name, and I, 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 I don't think that that's one that would pry free after he had a really, really nice season. But man, like I would like to have him uh, if, if, if I'm a team like the Suns. And defensively, I would wonder a little bit like, can you play him a whole lot next to Aiton? Uh, Crowder is unusual in that way where like he can defend a lot of versatile threes and, and, and smaller fours and stuff like that. Wendell Carter is not someone that I would want to have on small forwards a whole lot. Um, but man, like he, he added something to his game last year. He was finally healthy to some extent last year. He, you know, stretched out his uh, perimeter game a little bit. He, you know, he's a pretty good passer, although I think sometimes he's kind of been theorized as like a much better passer than what he is. Uh, and I kind of feel like you saw hints of what he could be last year. And if you're putting him on a good team where he doesn't have to do all that much, uh, he could probably shine even a little bit more. So I, I he's just an interesting name to me. I, I kind of start with those three. Boyan is another one that I had kind of on, on my list a little bit. But I was kind of most intrigued by the three I laid out. Wendell Carter is actually a little too centerish for me in terms of his offensive game. That makes sense. For, for his, he's not on my list. Um, and, and to be clear, in a lot of these trades – I mean, Crowder plus Saric is the package, or, or or Shamit plus Saric. But a lot of them, I think Crowder would have to be involved. I don't think Cam Johnson, the Suns don't want to trade Cam Johnson. Obviously, that would change depending on the player involved. But you also have to start thinking, like, is this guy an upgrade over Crowder, who's pretty good? For, for I like Jay, Winning follows Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder's a good, tough player, the kind of player every team needs. And if he is traded— Culture fit, if too. He, if he is ever traded, I bet he's going to find his way to another winning team and be a, a big-minute player on that team. Um, uh, Boyan and, and Collins are on my list in different segments of the list. Um, I, got, I, got, I got somewhat wild <laughs> with, my, with my trade ideas. So a lot of the guys on the tank teams— that should be available are all guards. And I just don't think it, it fits. So like your Gary Harris's, Terrence Ross, Alec Burks, the Utah guards, even Eric Gordon, who the Suns have been linked to a lot over the years at a, at a sort of smaller price than we're talking about. It's fine. He helps you. He's a bulldog. He's got experience guarding up a position defensively. He's tough. He's a little fire hydrant. Uh, it, you know, eh, kind of standing in place. A lot of other names on my list are, are kind of standing in place. List like would I would I call about Josh Hart if the Blazer season goes haywire? Sure, but is that is that changing my life? Is Brandon Clark changing my life if the Grizzlies season goes haywire? Is Keldon Johnson changing my life as as the power forward on a tank team? He is poison pilled, but that's a name I kind of like because he's young, he's got upside. Is it changing my life? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Is Kyle Kuzma changing my life? Kyle Kuzma had a really good year last year for the Wizards. He, he did. He's a, he's a name I would look at a little bit if I were Phoenix. I'd have a meeting about that one. Is Lugans Dort, who can probably play the four. Lugans Dort could probably defend the six. If there were a six, he could defend the six. He's that <laughs> tough and strong. Is that changing my life, though? How, how much is his contract for? Because I remember I just remember the a total lot. number on it was massive. It's like 15, but It was a big a contract. Um, yeah. So my answer to those is all just kind of feels like running a place a little bit. 
Which brings me yeah. back to although the Kuzma one I kind of like Julius Randle too much money too I just I, no it's just it's a no for me if I'm Phoenix it's a no hmm. um, too much money too many questions about the jump shooting which brings me back to the names I've mentioned plus Jeremy Grant if again if 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 the Portland season goes haywire Harrison Barnes always perfect fit. Don't know what the Kings' appetite to trade him is. If Crowder's coming back to the Kings, maybe they just say, well, you know, we like that. If we're getting draft equity, we feel like Jay Crowder's almost as good as Harrison Barnes in our minds. And now Harrison Barnes is a way better shooter. Um, like that name. I'll tell you, this makes no sense. Makes no sense. But if I'm going through the tank teams, the one guard that I'm looking at it's an obvious one league-wide, but not obvious for the Suns. Depending on how the season is going, if I start to care a little bit more about next season and beyond than this season, like a guy who could still help my team now but would really help my team later, why couldn't the Suns be the inevitable Shea Gilgis-Alexander godfather offer team? Short term, wow. short term, he's got experience playing with CP. He's got experience playing yeah. with CP in three-guard lineups. Yeah, we take a risk in terms of making our team smaller, introducing another high-volume ball handler. It's weird. It's wonky. Three guys want to be the number one option. Maybe it doesn't work. And if it doesn't work, guess what? Chris Paul's not going to be on the team in a year or two. But what does it cost you, though, to do it? I mean, like, I just wonder – because I'll, I'll put it this way. And this is also a function of me following way too many Knicks fans, I think, from just the years that I was on the beat and wanting to have a pulse of that, that fan base. Uh, I saw people – and successive tweets say, damn, we just lost Donovan Mitchell. And, well, what would it cost to get Shea? Meaning, like, let's just roll over what we couldn't spend on Mitchell. Kind of like, not to say a money burning a hole in your pocket, because obviously the Knicks were expecting to land a star. But if it's going to take you anywhere in that realm of that collection of picks, talent, whatever else it is, um, are the Suns ready to do that? Because at that point, if you're talking about trading for him and he's on the market, I could imagine that other teams might have better packages than the Suns offering Crowder and Sharich. Right? Well, look, I got to get up to thirty million dollars in salary as Phoenix to match to come close to match, and I got to come sure. dollar for dollar close because of you know Robert Sarver. So that's a that's an obstacle. And look, you're probably right, right? Like th there will be better young players involved. Maybe Cam Johnson has to be in that offer. That hurts. But I can get in any conversation I want with four picks and three swaps. I can get in any conversation I want with four picks and three swaps when my second best player is 36 or 37 years old or whatever Chris Paul is. And those picks may damn well have some upside down the line that doesn't appear apparent right now. I'm just saying. I, I don't – I think that is – Good point. Good point that I hadn't considered I, that I just part. think – that's a crazy one. I'm just, throwing, I'm just throwing that out into the universe. <laughs> it's a crazy one. It's interesting, I would. Uh, I it's will end by saying this. I would bet if you ask me, Suns enter the playoffs – with this roster or like this roster minus like a really minor tweak, like we get a ninth guy, eighth guy versus the Suns enter the playoffs having made a trade that really, really impacts our rotation, if not our starting five and probably our starting five. I'm going with the latter. I think they're going to make a trade that's based on not really any super hard reporting. Certainly there have been rumblings and mumblings and grumblings. That's just my gut. I think this team looks a little bit different. At midseason. Any parting Suns thoughts or can we talk about the other team? 
No, I just think it's fascinating that, um, again, and, you know, last time I'll, I'll hammer it, the point that a team that was just that much better than everybody else regular season-wise that I, I don't think I'm alone in thinking that, like, you know, as far as where I would place them among the contenders, that they're probably no higher than third on my list in the West, which that feels brutal to say that about a team. And I remember when we when we podcasted about them last year um, and I picked the Jazz, I don't remember who you had, actually, uh, who you picked. I don't think it was the Warriors, but maybe. I think you, you were certainly intrigued by them. That I remember a lot of Suns fans tweeting at both of us saying, like, what about us? You know, we finished second in the West and – made the finals and you know our roster is still the same like how is nobody picking us so i imagine there will be some of that this year as well and and who knows maybe that lights a fire under the suns but they're fascinating for that reason and that's you why i thought fire. it would be fun to podcast you can't about light them. a fire under the suns are already the hottest thing in the universe you can't light a fire you can't make the sun that is the most dad joke burn, i've ever burn. heard bro look i'm a dad <laughs> <laughs> and you said burn after that? Good lord. I'm a 45-year-old dad, Chris Herring. I own every bit of it. I own, I oh, own every, We had a fishing derby. There was a fishing event uh, locally here, and a kid caught a 14-and-a-half-inch fluke. That's a type of fish, a fluke. He won the fishing derby. The seven-year-old kid, Liam, his name was. So my wife said, wow, he really – he caught a fluke. And I said – well, Liam's a Liam's a good little fisher. You think it's a fluke? That's a dad joke, Chris, and it went over poorly. You 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 one upped your dad joke by telling me another <laughs> one, man. Uh, can we can we get to the Bucks, please, please? I'm begging. <laughs> Look, it's not brutal to put the Suns third. I think it's quite nice to put the Suns third because the Warriors just won the title, so they're default one right. or two. The Clippers are absolutely beyond loaded. And the Nuggets are awesome. We haven't even got to the Grizzlies, the Mavericks, who just beat the Suns in the playoffs. Like, I think third is fine. The top of the West is just that good. And I, I do think if the Suns stand pat, they're in the conversation, but they're in the level of the conversation where, much like the 2011 Mavericks were, where the Mavericks were in the conversation every year, kept falling short, right. and then just a series of things clicked into place for them. And all of a sudden, they won the championship. I think that's where the Suns are now. They need a series of things to click into place if they don't make a trade. That's not unkind. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay, full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. And with a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes! Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream 
your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Let's talk about the Bucks. So all summer, it's Nets mania, baby. Nets this, Nets that. Kevin Durant meets with this person, demands that person gets fired. Where's Kevin Durant going? Who's on the list? Kevin Durant, where's Ben Simmons? Is Kyrie going to play? The Kyrie opt-in. Oh, my God. Philadelphia loaded up. The Celtics signed Malcolm Brogdon and Danilo Gallinari. And, oh, my God, are they going to get Kevin Durant? What would that mean? Should they do that? What does that mean for Jalen Brown? And I sit there and I get back from vacation. I start going down the rosters of all 30 teams. And I start doing the Bucks, looking at the Bucks roster. I'm like, oh, my God. They're deep. They had Javon Carter for just a little bit of last year. They get him for all this year. Wes Matthews is back. Pat Connaughton made a leap. They had Brooke Lopez barely at all last year. Now they got him all season. Joe Ingles maybe comes midseason and helps the team. Certainly gives them a ball handling dimension that they they could use. I, I know they're they're they left the playoffs. They left the Celtics series last year as 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 I think as I think, um, not surprising, but I, I was frankly impressed that they took Boston to seven games without Chris Middleton. But I think they also came out of that series thinking, could we have won it if our offense were a little bit more snappy, yeah. diverse, um, unpredictable, even without Chris Middleton, mm-hmm. who obviously would facilitate such a transition. Um, George Hill's back, great security blanket. Serge Ibaka, if he can give us anything, at least we have him on the team all year. Um, they've got some young guys who are popping a little bit, including Mamu, um, who's killing Eurobasket. I, I look at this team, I'm like, you know, they, they are now coming off a regular offseason instead of the our best players flew from the finals to Tokyo for the Olympics offseason. Like days later. Um, yeah. they, they are stung by that defeat to Boston, probably hungry for a little vengeance, hungry to hungry – to, um, not justify their title, but win another one. Prove that, yeah, we're the best team. And they have the best player. And I'm looking at this team on paper, and I'm like, man, this is the year where if they, their depth could really hit, this could be the deepest team of the Giannis era if some of these bit players who were really bit players last year, even in terms of time spent on the roster, if with continuity and health they can really count on these guys – including Grayson Allen, by the way, and we're going to talk about him and how he got kind of clowned in the Boston series. I thought a little bit too much. All the Sturm and Drang to shout out Sharks again about all these other teams. Is this just the best team, Chris? Are they just – I think they're like third in Vegas championship odds, but it's really close. So it's not like a dramatic question, but I, I come out thinking about the Bucks. like, is this just the best team and we're all overthinking it? I, I really, really wish we could have seen that series over again against Boston with Middleton, even if it was just for a game seven where Middleton was healthy, because I can't help but think how brutal their offense was after a while. Because let's just put it simply, Drew Drew Holiday was essentially forcing a lot because they looked at what they had and said, like, what other option do we have other than Giannis? And Drew, I've never seen Drew kind of just go back to the well over and over and over again where he was shooting in the 30s, I'm pretty sure. Um, but he was for, I mean, he was taking like 25 shots a game, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and it just looked that way. And it, you know, it was just not 
um, the most inspiring offense to watch. And they still almost won the series, even with that, even with him taking on way too high of a usage. Giannis was that great. And, um, yeah, it, it, it's funny. I don't know if you'd remember um, the year they won the title when we did an offseason pod that year. Remember, that was the year that uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich had been kind of uh, in the queue for them, but they lined it up too early. They got hit with the tampering stuff. And so you asked me a question on that podcast, and you said they went and got Drew Holiday, and then they almost did this too, but that didn't happen. And so now it's prompting us all to think about it like, oh, well, what they could have had. But if you just kind of take it step by step and look at what they did add, wasn't this a good offseason for them? And are we kind of overthinking it because of what they didn't get that we know they almost got? Um, on some level, this is kind of interesting, too, just because they didn't really make that many changes to this roster. So it becomes really easy to say, like, why didn't they do anything? They're one of the teams that has a really good shot to win this thing. But then you kind of contextualize it by saying, so many of these pieces weren't there at different times during the season. Brooke Lopez, um, you know, Serge didn't play much uh, once he was there. And obviously just looking at the, the Middleton situation. So I'm, I'm interested to see just this team at full strength. Um, I, I don't know if there's anybody that beats them. I'm, I'm really intrigued now with Boston um, and, and the whole situation there. Um, because I feel like they did add a lot to what they had as well. But, uh, yeah, just Giannis with a team at full strength around him, it, it's going to be really hard to beat. They were hard to beat when they didn't have a team at full strength last year. So I, I could see it. And um, if you if you believe, like most people I think do at this point, that Giannis is the best player in the league, uh, having a team at full strength would certainly help to make that case that they're going to win the East or come out of the East. And so I'm really intrigued to see them at full strength. Even when they are at full strength, sometimes they were resting guys a lot last year um, because of what you just said as it related to the the foreign play and stuff like that with Middleton and, and Holiday. Yeah, their their offense fell apart in the playoffs. They scored 100 points per 100 possessions against Boston. That would have ranked worse than last in the regular season. Their offense wasn't even good against Chicago. They're, they just came across an injury-riddled Bulls team who could not score to save its own life against Milwaukee, a team yeah. that we, yeah. we've talked about this. I, I don't think I've ever seen a defense in the playoffs disrespect another team's shooting collectively to the degree Milwaukee was just like, you guys want to shoot? We're, we're not even paying attention. Like, we're just all chilling out in right. the paint, having a conversation about like, hey, Severance is pretty good. You guys watch Severance? Severance is... We got we got to get on that. It's kind of a hot show. Oh, oh, they missed again. Okay, fast break dunk. Goodbye. Good night. It was it was embarrassing for the Bulls. But the Milwaukee's offense fell apart. I, I flagged you on this earlier today. Their half court offense was was their bugaboo in prior playoff. The playoff loss to Toronto. I was going to say flame out. That wasn't a flame out. Toronto was just awesome. No. and won the championship. And then the Bucks uh, Heat series in the bubble. You know, the bubble was the bubble. It it was not this. It was. Not the same for everybody, but the half court offense is what failed them in those in those series. They overcame it to some degree in winning the championship. It was dead last among playoff teams last season. Even without Middleton, that stat kind of blew me away. Even facing what was by far the best defensive team for seven games in the regular season in Boston, even given that, it blew me away. Um and that's interesting, but defensively, they're monstrous. And I just think offensively, I'm throwing those numbers away. 
I think this team is going to be awesome. Middleton is beyond a game changer. He's the best shooter on the team. He's their best pick-and-roll ball handler. The Middleton-Giannis pick-and-roll is the engine of their offense. If they're healthy and they, and they get good continuity, I'm throw Ibaka out. Anything Ibaka gives me is found money. I just think they have more depth, more more ways to get to Giannis at center if they even want to play that way. More more skilled wings to get there if they even want to do it. And I'm not sure they want to do it all that much other than as a curveball, at least in a regular season. Playoffs are a different game. They even found something with the Giannis, Portis, Lopez mega lineup uh, before I think they, they switched out of it against Boston because it just it was too complicated defensively. Giannis had to guard Jalen Brown. It was weird. They were too big. I think we'll see more of that lineup in the regular season. Portis, I, I think, got tired playing more minutes, 400 more regular season minutes than he had ever played before in any season as the team was dealing with injuries and COVID. And remember, like, Greg Monroe was involved for a hot second and DeMarcus Cousins was I forgot involved about for a hot second. I just – I think they're loaded. And – I think they're they're absolutely loaded, and you know they're probably going to start Holiday, West Matthews, Middleton, Giannis, Lopez. At least when Middleton's healthy. By the way, I don't think Middleton. I would bet against Middleton starting the season. Remember, he had like wrist surgery out of nowhere in the off season, and the initial announcement was he, he's out. Opt like could come back, should come back. I don't remember what the verbiage was around the beginning of the regular season. I would bet on him missing a little bit of time at the start of the season. I also don't care. Like, the start of the season is not relevant to this team. I think there's an argument that they should start Pat Connaughton over Wes Matthews, that Pat Connaughton is just better than Wes Matthews now. But I, I, I think they'll lean defense and just say, if Wes is out there, Wes guards the best wing on the other team so our stars don't have to. We'll just stick with that. I just don't really see a lot of weaknesses on this team. I, I don't even see a lot of weak weak guys to pick at. Which brings me back to Grayson Allen. I still think Grayson Allen is good. He got roasted by Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown in that series. They went at him. They targeted him. That's cool. Like those guys are awesome. They're gonna hit. They're gonna hurt Grayson Allen. I I think that series without Middleton, him and Connaughton had to do so much more than they were accustomed to. That it's in a way, I think it'll be a good learning experience for them. I think I think people are now too low on Grayson Allen. I just think this team is loaded, and I don't. I mean, talk me out of it, but. I know Boston is is the on paper Vegas favorite right now. I don't really know who I would pick to win the East or win the title. My gut right now, if I ha- if you put the Nerf gun to my head and said pick an NBA Finals, I think I would pick Milwaukee Clippers right now. Yeah, well, Milwaukee was the team I had coming out of the East last year when we did uh, we did our podcast last year, kind of predicting projecting. Um, and, you know, I, I think there's obviously we just kind of laid it out. There's a pretty good case to be made that they get back there. You know, when you take Boston to seven without uh, your, like you were saying, in your opinion, the, the best pick and roll ball handler they've got, uh, the best shooter they've got, that speaks volumes about a series where they just couldn't generate enough offense outside of Giannis. So it's not crazy to take them. I think the Brogdon addition for Boston is a fair one to where you look at it and you say like, okay, wow. They added something on top of what they already had. Oh, they're um, going to be amazing. There's you know, no question they're going to be amazing. Right. By the way, so we talk, I, we talk I, about hunger and the Bucks' hunger. Celtics, they 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 got all the way to the precipice. Right. So I, I, I get it from that standpoint. I think the interesting thing, I remember having to write a piece after the Bucks got eliminated and kind of like, 
where do they go from here? And it, I remember thinking like, don't, don't overthink this. That you know, Middleton wasn't there. And I remember thinking after watching the Milwaukee series with uh, with with Boston, man, Grayson Allen sure was rough in this series. Let's see, he was thirteen for forty two. He was five of twenty four from three. Um, so it gets really easy to say like, man, like, wouldn't you want to upgrade here? But you look at the kind of regular season he had, and he was he was more or less great. He's for the them. eighth uh, guy I mean, he, on their team. If you if you if you right. include Wes Matthews as as a as a quote full like starter starter, Connaughton and Portis are both better than Grayson Allen. And if Joe Ingles comes back healthy in April and May, he'll come back before that probably. But if he's if he's really ready to go, he might be the ninth guy. Like I, I'm not I'm not I'm not that worried about Grayson Allen. Grayson Allen has been a forty percent three point shooter now essentially for three years in a row ever since his rookie year. Uh, he was forty, almost forty-one percent last year. He had a, a a bad series against Boston, and and you just laid out that he was kind of overextended in some ways because of what Boston does to you. Uh, he also, by the way, like didn't miss a shot in the Bulls series. Uh, now, granted, the Bulls did not have the bodies to really guard Giannis, so they're leaving everybody open. But I, I don't know. I I would I would gamble on the fact that Grayson Allen will will kind of redeem himself at least in a regular season setting and maybe even in a playoff setting. Um, that was a rough series for him, but there, I don't think that there was that much that had to really be fixed about this team, particularly. And if you're, um, you know, if you're the bucks, you're probably looking at the situation and thinking, let's run this back. Let's do it where we're healthy for most of the season, where these guys have real good time having played next to each other during the season and see if we can make a run at this. Giannis is really just now entering his prime. Uh, and I think anybody would be happy to roll the dice with that, let alone with the roster they have around him that does a pretty good job of maximizing who he is. And uh, so, I, yeah, I, by no means is it crazy to say that they should be the odds-on favorite. I, I kind of would understand it. To me, that's as big a, a belief in Giannis as it is in the rest of the roster, in my opinion. The guy is just it, – it hurts. It, There's not worse. It hurts to watch other teams play against him. I can't I, – I mean, I just – I can tell you for sure, having been around the Celtics a lot last playoffs, particularly in the finals. That series. When they won that series, just universally they were like, thank God we don't have to deal with that guy again for a while because I, I – like I'm done with him. I can't deal with that anymore. That freight train coming at me over and over again, blocking shots to being – being I mean, that that shot he blocked at the corner three, he blocked at Eurobasket where he flies like 50 Oof. feet for some point. The freeze frames on those were scary. But you're right though. I mean, it's like I wrote a book about the 90s Knicks, had to watch more 90s basketball than I ever would want to, you know, um, to do it. That series was – the most physical series I've seen in a long time. Uh, just as far as, I mean, and, and people make jokes about flopping here and Grant Williams and this, and it's like, no, that, that was big boy basketball. And, and even if guys are intentionally trying to draw a call, that stuff still looked like it hurt well, it, every single time. And then time. the Celtics followed up with the Heat seven-game series where people were just getting <laughs> right. injured. Like every five minutes, somebody was going to the locker room. There was bleeding. People were coming in and out of the game. Everyone was injured right. in that series. And part of the reason, by the way, that I'm super optimistic about Boston too and why I came out against them 
trading for Kevin Durant if it involved Jalen Brown, Brown and a whole lot of their pieces, including Marcus Smart, is I, I look at their playoff run as ugly, right? Like, I thought they should have beat Milwaukee in fewer than seven games. Definitely should have beat the Heat in fewer than seven games. Fell in on themselves and all over the floor against the Warriors in the last three games of that series, turning the ball over left and right. So you could look at that playoff run and be like, eh, is this team really that good? Like, is their offense just kind of busted? Mm-hmm. Was the regular season a little bit of a fluke? I, I look at it the other way where they were just – they were so tired and worn down and and almost not ready for the season to end, but, but just I don't think they had the gear they needed to have to beat the Warriors because of the minutes load that Tatum and Brown had carried, because of the toll those two series took on them. And I believe what happened in the regular season was real. So I think Boston is awesome. I think they're going to be awesome. And I think Milwaukee and Boston is going to be are the two best teams in the East. And Philly is going to be close behind, at least in the regular season. But I, I just look at the Bucks and and if those if their three best guys are healthy, man, they are really really hard uh, to beat. And by the way, under the radar. Uh, under the radar thing, Chris Middleton's eligible for an extension. And I haven't heard a lot of mm. talk, both inside the league and among media, about the fact that Chris Middleton's eligible for an extension. He's making $38 million this year. He has a player option for next season at 40 He could extend by opting in and then extend off that number or extend by opting out and extending off his $38 million number. Coincidentally, he has now hit 10 years of service, which means he's eligible for the biggest max possible, the 35% of the cap max. The most the most you can get extending is 120% of your current salary. Can't go above the max. If the max is bigger than that, then you just don't you just get the max. 120% of Chris Middleton's current salary is almost exactly the 35% max under next year's projected cap. I have no idea what the Bucks are going to do. Middleton is, I think, 31 years old. I have to look that up just to make sure. Um, and if you're him, you want to say, well, I'm a three-time All-Star, core part of your team. I want all the years, yeah. all the money. I have a hard time believing the Bucks are going to just be like, yeah, we'll give you a max extension, even though the cap's going to go way up. And we all know the cap's going to go way up with the new TV deal in three years or whatever. I don't think, I I don't know what's going to happen. I really don't. I don't think there's been like a great deal of discussion about it so far uh, between the the most important parties. It's early. I I would bet on them just kind of playing it out and but maybe, but maybe, but maybe they find a middle ground somewhere. But that that's hanging over the season is like a thing nobody is talking about, and maybe they're not talking about it because it's just like he's been on the team for nine years. He's happy. He's with Giannis. They win every year. Either way, he's going to get paid a huge amount of money, even if he takes like a, a deal that's flat or a discount or a declining deal. It's still and a huge amount of money. But I just it's it's out yeah. there. It exists as a thing. It, it it's fascinating that mark that down as something I'd not thought about. I have not heard really anybody talk about. Um, which, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of people that would point the fingers at us and say, you know, if this was Giannis and he was coming up on a contract year or anything else, we would have been talking about it three years ago, just like with any other superstar. 
Middleton's not in that class, but he's a really, really good player for that to have not been a, a talking point of story. I line. hate to even Whatever. say this, Chris, and I don't mean anything by it. I I just when I looked at the Bucks salary charts before I went on vacation and again after, both times I was like, oh, Giannis only has three years left on his deal. <laughs> like, <both>. see. <laughs> I mean, oh, just, man. Everybody's going to say that, that darn ESPN that they no, do when this. Any, when but, anyone signs a Supermax, you just – in your head, they're just under contract forever. And it's like, oh, he's three right. years. Like, I look, I I, I but, hope Giannis has finished his entire career with the Bucks. There's no indication right. he's ever going to leave. He should never leave. Um, but the Middleton thing is interesting. That's all. The the Middleton thing is interesting. Here's why it's interesting. One, I, I get the impression there's no reporting on my part to, you know, to – legitimize it or delegitimize it, whatever, you get the impression that he, the sort of relationship he and Giannis have, the role that he's played, the fact that they've won a championship, um, that and, and the fit that he has there where he gets a lot of opportunities to to run the show, to to be asked to score in key moments uh, because of some of Giannis's limitations. That's a rare role that he has with them and a starring role that he has with them. We just saw... I'm sure Chris Middleton hoped that they won the series against the Celtics, but we saw how they looked when he wasn't there. Um, so that's kind of a very rare, specific role for like a championship caliber team that he might only be able to do that there. Um, and if you talk about like what another team would pay to have him, what be their best guy? Like, I don't know what a team that has Middleton as their best player looks like. He's a very, very, very good player. He's an all-star I think both you and I agreed that it was a little surprising that he made the team last year as an all-star, uh, made the all-star team last year, but that's beside the point. He's a very, very good player. Um, I'd be curious to see if anybody would just max him. I don't I don't know that anybody would feel comfortable doing that, and I imagine that there's a middle ground, not even middle ground, but just a, a an agreement that he and the Bucks could reach that they would both be happy with to keep this thing going where it doesn't break the proverbial bank for it's the a great Bucks. point it, 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 it I makes, it's, it's his best option and that their best option it's a great know? point i hadn't spent much time because frankly i don't think it's gonna be an issue like thinking about what is the market for chris middleton unrestricted free agent because i do think by far by far the likeliest outcome is there's a long-term agreement hashed out whether it's during the season whether it's now whether it's after the season, whether it's even next season after he opts in, if he opts in. I just – I haven't even wrapped my head around the idea that he, there would be any kind of disagreement or separation, nor have I wrapped my head around Giannis ever playing for another team, to be clear. I think everything is just going to be copacetic. The Bucks are going to be awesome, and everyone's just going to be on the team for a long time, including these two guys. Brooke Lopez is also eligible for an extension, not for nothing. I, I just – he makes $14 million a year. That's a tough one because um, – players don't like to extend down and it's hard to see them going up at this point in Brooke Lopez's career. But the bottom line is I just think this team's loaded. I mean, even a guy like Javon Carter, I think he's going to help their, I, I love he, that. I think he's going to help their team. I think he helped their team last year. just didn't really have time to cement any kind of role on their team. I, I, I right. think he's going to be a good kind of corner three shooter defender. We all know what he does. 94 feet. I, I just really like this team. And I, I it's it's not a sexy thing to say because they like you said they didn't make any big moves. Again, it's it's now it's it's September twelfth. I think I 
it, nerf gun to my head. I'm picking Bucks Clippers in the finals. Don't feel great about it. I, it's like it's like you know very close with Milwaukee and Boston. I just think people people aren't sleeping on the Bucks. Everyone knows how good they are. It's just no one's talking about the Bucks, and no one is really saying like, are we just overthinking this? Or are they maybe the best team in the NBA? I, I, I think it's very similar to the Suns thing. I think that we have a tendency, like anybody does, fans, media, we tend to look at the shiny thing that just got added somewhere else. So the the week, the day that the Brogdon thing happened with Boston, it was like, what? They just added him on top of what they just did and almost won a title with. And we've watched the Bucks more or less stand in place. Now, they the Ingles thing was interesting, but like you said, a guy that can't play right right off the bat um so it's like that it kind of gets muted because of something like that um the suns essentially are just running it back more or less now that was a surprise from what we thought would happen we all figured Aiton would end up somewhere else monty williams's comments after that game seven we absolutely thought that Aiton had the potential to land somewhere else and he's back so uh i just tend to think that teams that are static i mean the the, the bulls are another team that added a couple guys, but like nothing real, real big. They didn't have the capacity to add anything really, really big. I think when teams stay still with the roster for the most part, with the key parts of their roster, they're going to get talked about a little bit less. And um, But no, I, I think the Bucks have as good an argument, maybe a better argument than anybody that they'll, you know, that they'll come out of this thing, the champions, um, at the end of the season. So I'm really excited to watch. I'm excited to watch their offense because I think – they're not going to be experimental or radical, but I'm interested to see how they attack switches because I know they they left the Boston series thinking like they kind of defanged us a little bit offensively by switching. I'm interested to see their defense. You know, the last time we saw it, they were doing the thing where Brooke Lopez is just in the paint and letting Grant Williams take a million threes. Is is, is that how they're going to eight of seventeen in that uh, game? Is that seven, how they're going to yeah. default? But you know, these are this is going to be a great team, um, and. Uh, and we'll just I think this is why the league's gonna be great this year. Milwaukee, Boston, Philly's certainly got the upside talent wise to be in that conversation. And sure. clip the Clippers are just it's like it seems like they have twenty five good wings on their team. The the Nuggets, the Warriors just won the title and they're gonna be better this season. The Warriors will be better this season than they were last season when they won the title. They should be anyway, with the depth they picked they up be. with Clay Thompson. A year, a year in now, year two coming back from those injuries, um, and you know the other teams in the West that we do we've kind of hinted at the Memphises, the Mavs, and you know on and on and on. Let alone if the Lakers figure anything. You mentioned out. the Nuggets, Nuggets there. Actually, a if ago? I haven't, I should have because you know I, I love the Nuggets. Yeah, um, I think it's it could be a special season. And Chris Herring, we're going to be counting on you to help us navigate it with your writing, with your newsletter, with your podcast at si.com, and by occasionally permitting me to steal some of your time be well be safe and uh, i'll see you around the block my friend you too it's always good to chop it up with you my friend be well and now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct tv satellite free you see this a family watching baseball on direct tv with no satellite dish in sight let's heckle them you call that changing the channel choke up on the remote buddy i hope getting all these games on direct tv makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds direct tv has the most mlb games call 1-800-DIRECT-TV claim based on total games carried on sports networks sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package terms or restrictions apply